Welcome to Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 2, Episode 7, They're Everywhere. God, did they... They're everywhere. Did not break the creativity bank on this uh, title here. It's so... Vague, too. Like, I will not a year from now remember which episode we're talking about if you say they're everywhere and like there were really obvious better options brain drain there it took me three seconds like i, I hate that one too but at least it at would least tell it me descri- what yeah i i mean charmed is infamous for having bad titles but at least have them be like Say as many horrible things about Womb Raider as you want. At least it lets you know what happens in that episode. Okay, I think I'd actually rather it be... Intentionally vague than... Yeah. Yeah. Womb Raider. God, I hate that. I hate that so much. So, this episode was directed by Mel Damsky, who previously directed Wicca Envy. Uh it's fine. It's fine. And it was written by Cheryl J. Anderson, who is... A standby. A standby. She she works on the show as a producer. And I keep saying that before we get another Cheryl J. Anderson episode, I will finish reading the one book of hers that I bought, Killer Heels, so I can report back. But I have not done so yet. Hmm. In fact, I'm going to look ahead. When do I have... How long... Oh, whoa. Okay. Okay, so she wrote not the next episode we're doing after this, but the one after that. So if I'm going to, you know, do that again this time, if I'm going to make that promise again this time, I better get on it. This is kind of a middle-of-the-road episode of Charmed. It it honestly, it introduces a few concepts I find really interesting that are, like, never picked up on again. Mm. But other than that, eh. I think perhaps this episode is most notable for premonitions. The guest star, yeah. Yes. But we'll get to that uh, when we get to that. So, the episode opens uh, at a museum where someone is giving a very, very exposition-heavy tour. Uh, I, I've never actually uh, done museum tours before. Have you? Oh, yeah. So, I have done museum tours, and they're fine, but I very, very much like to go at my own pace. Mm. So, really, what I have discovered and love is museums that have the audio walkthroughs that you do at your own pace. You know, each exhibit has, like, a QR code or a number that you type into the little device, and then it gives you the information there, and you don't have to follow someone around yeah actually in college i i did you know i i took classes and you know the teacher would lead us through and talk about stuff and i, I just i really like to just take museums at my own speed like, oh me too that's why i love you know self-guided audio tours but i also really love all of the details so you know yeah. best of both worlds yeah I've, I've never been huge into knowing stuff like, about the artist, about the artist. Like, sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's not. Mostly, you know, hey, everyone was an alcoholic who was cheating on their spouse. A lot of them were gay. Just look at any of Michelangelo's women and be like, 
Really? He's into dudes, huh? Well, for I know, right? Well, uh, for instance, in the British Portrait Gallery, mm-hmm. the tour not only told you about the artist, but about the person in the portrait. It was really interesting. I mean, there's some sometimes there's interesting stuff there. I mean, Car- uh, Caravaggio's thing about, uh, you know, he, he depicted a ton of decapitations because he was horrified of being decapitated. Yes. And he ended up having to flee when uh, they found out that he, you know, was sleeping with dudes and they were going to cut his head off. Okay, I learned that from a tour in Rome when I was... Yeah, that was also when I did my year abroad and I was in Italy. That was when I found that out. But that's like the only thing that stuck with me from... I will say that in England, they really treat their museums like tourist attractions and not like very fancy... They murdered a lot of people to get that stuff. Well, what I mean is the audio guides in England when I went to London mm. were incredibly well produced and were produced with a thought towards entertainment as opposed to kind of dry academic education. Ah, uh, that's fun. That sounds fun. Yeah. Although I will say when I went to the Tower of London, there was, speaking of all the people they murdered, there was a torture exhibit an exhibit specifically about the kinds of torture they did in the Tower of London. Hmm. It was distressing. It was distressing. Yeah. But there were other great parts of the Tower of London. It's weird that, like, they had the... Museum of Torture? Yes. Well, it, it, was, it, wasn't, a per- it wasn't a permanent exhibit. It was a temporary exhibit about torture. Hmm. But also, the piece they had about Anne Boleyn was really heart-wrenching like it was really compassionate and heart-wrenching but then also they're like and this is an iron maiden (laughs) so you know total total inconsistency i guess that's what i'm trying to say i I was trying to find a way to subtly work in her song from six but i i couldn't think of a classy way to do that (laughs) so this museum in charmed by the way, best songs in six for me, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Anne of Cleves and um, Anne Boleyn. Don't Lose Your Head and um, Queen of the Castle. Is that is that Anne of Cleves? Yes, but I don't think it's called... But it's Yes, but it's not called Queen of the Castle. Yeah. It's like the Shoop Shoop song where everyone just knows it by... <laughs> yes, I love Anne of Cleves' song. It's my favorite. And Anne Boleyn's song is good it's a good song well it's catchy yeah well it's a good song but it's so historically inaccurate that it drives me crazy <laughs> but i you know i do i do love six yeah anne of cleves is is my favorite not just in six but you know of henry's wives it's because hans holbein did such a good job uh... i was going to say speaking of the british portrait museum i was very disappointed that when i went her portrait was not out. Apparently, they don't keep the whole collection out all the time. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense because, you know, they want you to come back. <laughs> oh, my God. They're Disney. I guess I... Yeah. She, yeah. Anne of Cleves was in the vault. Uh, I did go to her grave, though. I guess I guess I have to go back to the British Portrait Museum. I guess we, well, we have to go back together at some point to London. Yeah. I saw this... Uh, I've read this thing about how the... Uh, the Schuyler sisters' graves got, like, way more attention after Hamilton came out, which... That makes sense. Yeah. 
I'm sure they wouldn't be thrilled to, you know, if if they knew about the production, I'm sure they wouldn't be thrilled about the reason people were visiting their graves, but... Well, okay, we're, we're going too far off. Yeah, okay, yeah. Charmed. So, the museum that they're in... Mm-hmm. The tour guide is talking about the Akashic Records. Did you do research? Is this I an actual did. thing? I did. All right. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. The Akashic Record is the idea that there is a plane of existence where all actions and thoughts are written. Mm-hmm. That is what the Akashic Record is. The way to access the Akashic Record is not to discover where an actual tablet is buried. The way to access it is to reach enlightenment. Hmm. But that's that's not what Charmed... In, in Charmed, it's like an actual tablet that you can go find. and It's it, like the Rosetta Stone, but for everything. It's more like... I mean, in Charmed. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. In Charmed, the Akashic Record is like a giant rock somewhere that will tell you about everything that will ever happen. Yeah, exactly. And you need a different giant rock to find it. So that's what's in this museum. Not the Akashic Record itself, but as you said, a giant rock that has the map to the Akashic Record, but that no one has ever deciphered. Mm. At least until... Baby Misha Collins showed up. Hi, baby Misha Collins. I uh, probably wouldn't have recognized you if your name wasn't it. I didn't watch enough Supernatural to really. I mean, I I guess he's he eh, looks he's not super distinctive. He looks so baby faced in this episode. He does. I mean, I, I'm not sure I would have recognized him if you know his name wasn't there and I didn't know. Okay, this is the episode with Misha Collins in it. I don't think it would have been like, hey, it's that angel guy from Supernatural. But he does look like someone who becomes famous later. He does have a real, like you said, he's a baby face, someone famous later. Yes, yes. It's like when you're watching the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie and you see baby Ben Affleck in it. Yes, yes. What a weird launching pad for a career. I don't know if he was in anything before it. I'm assuming not because it's just such a minor role. But I think that might have been his first role. He has a line, though. They paid him. Or I was recently on the Happy Days podcast, These Days Are Ours. Mm-hmm. And we did the episode My Favorite Orkin with a very young Robin Williams. Mm. Yeah. So, baby Misha Collins is looking at the tablet, trying to translate it, Mm. and he figures it out. And he exclaims, oh my gosh, I totally just translated this! Which was a bad idea, because the clearly warlock guy who's lurking about is like, ah, I'm gonna go suck this guy's brain out. Do your own work, lazy ass. But also, like, maybe don't say stuff. Like, I know Eureka kind of made it a thing. Eureka, the, you know, exclamation, not the TV show, which people... Do people like Eureka? Is it warmly regarded? I think it might be, but I only watched the first couple episodes and I couldn't get into it. Yeah, same. I watched it and I was like... I mean... I have the same problem with it I have with The Librarians, which I have watched a few episodes of, where it seems to sort of 
into itself. Okay, so I haven't watched The Librarians, but I feel like I would really like it because I like leverage. You know, we uh, we should watch a few episodes because it's not bad. Like, honestly, I would probably go through The Librarians and watch more of it. It's just very... It's, it's tongue-in-cheek in a way that feels smug. Mm. It's kind of hard to... When we get through Supergirl, we can go through... The library. And I like stuff about it. There's a thief character who's very charming. And there's a girl who has, like... She has a brain tumor that gives her magical math powers. Huh. And, like, it has a kind of John Aaron dynamic with, like, the main girl and Noel Wiley's character. Like, the, the main character is, like the guardian and she guards the librarian and her thing is you know oh she's the tough lady who's snarky and sarcastic and you know and he's like the bombastic guy who's always quippy and he's also sarcastic but in a different way and like he's fun and she's tough and this is a dynamic you've seen in every sci-fi supernatural show it's 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 Mulder and scully it's yeah oh speaking of i'm not sure if you're aware max that i have been watching through all of stargate again specifically so i can curate a mala valderan playlist for you and you can watch just those great episodes and not all of the really hard sci-fi episodes that i know you wouldn't care about all right thank you <laughs> uh but i mean it's a dynamic right you you yeah, no, that she's that character, Claudia Black, who plays Val Maldoran, is that character in Stargate as well, although she's... More fun. Yes, she's got a much more playful side in Stargate than she does in Farscape. Well, you showed me that one episode of X-Files, the one with the vampires. Yes. And I'm like, I haven't watched a ton of X-Files, I've seen a few episodes, but in that episode I was really getting the kind of clear picture where i'm like oh all of these like all of these dynamics i've seen in different shows are just echoing the Mulder and scully relationship it's the you know serious but sarcastic lady with the goofy but sarcastic guy it's all just Mulder and scully huh yeah yeah i'm not sure if they're the er example though i'm going to have to think on this oh yeah i'm i'm sure it's calling back to something else it's probably a dynamic that's been around since I don't know. Maybe if uh, maybe if I actually read the you know Legend of Gilgamesh or whatever he you know Gilgamesh and Enkidu, yeah, yeah. She she's like the the tough priestess who's still snarking at him, and he's the you know wacky guy who's snarky too. I mean, Enkidu is a guy, but yes, yes. Hmm. Isn't there a priestess in the like? I don't remember a priestess in the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's been a it's been a really long time. Uh, I think it was when I was in... I was post-high school Greek mythology phase where I was looking to spread out a little more. Oh, I had to read it in two different classes in undergrad to get my literature degree, which I did. Well, that makes sense. It's like the first story. Yeah. The first recorded story. So Misha Collins having eureka his uh, way out of the museum has gone to his dad who... I, I feel really bad about this, and I'm going to take us off on another brief tangent. Have you seen Strangers with Candy? Yes. You know the thing with Jerry Blank's dad? Yes. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about that. Her dad's, like, this kind of frozen guy who's doing this weird face. 
and Misha Collins' dad is in a coma. He mysteriously got ill a few weeks ago, months, weeks. I think it's unclear, but yes, well, he was translating the same tablet that Misha Collins has just translated. A period of time that is long, but not super long. I'm going to say weeks. Uh, he fell mysteriously ill, and he's been in a vegetative-ish state since then. In an eye-open coma. I mean... Can't, shouldn't, shouldn't they close his eyes so he doesn't go blind? Should, like, somebody should go close his eyes so they don't try out. Yeah, otherwise... I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it just really feels like somebody should do that. Mm. Again, it's why I went to Jerry Blank's dad, because you shouldn't leave someone's eyes open if they're in a coma. He should at least have, like, a mask or something on so, like you said, they yeah. don't die out. Dry out. So, Phoebe comes in because she's a candy striper for this episode, and I believe only this episode. Yep, never again. Never before, never again. But she is volunteering at the hospital, mm-hmm. and... She is bringing flowers into the room and heavily flirting with babyface Misha Collins, which who can blame her? Yeah. He looks quite attractive in this episode. Yep. He's a, he's a cutie. And he tells her that he appreciates it because, you know, not everyone would put flowers in a coma patient's room because they wouldn't appreciate it. And she's like, well, that's, that's just the kind of bubbly person I am for this episode. So... The doctor comes in to talk to Misha Collins, and he lets him know that he's not optimistic about Misha Collins' dad's outlook. He wants to move him to a long-term care facility because this isn't a long-term care facility, and really he's taking up a bed that someone else could probably use. Sadly, this is news for Misha that he's, you know, not going to wake up anytime soon. Mm. And when Misha leaves the room... The doctor blinks away. Yay, blinking. I don't think this is the first time we've seen it with demons. I know the first time we saw it was actually with uh, Phoebe when she got her evil powers. So, this is not the first episode where we see warlocks blink. Mm -hmm. But this is the first episode where the girls say that blinking is a warlock power. Hmm. When we've seen it previously, it was just a power that some people had. Well, that makes sense. I mean sort of moving into warlocks being their own thing because back in the day warlocks and by back in the day i mean season one inconsistently warlocks only got powers by killing witches so all of the powers they had would be witch powers and they were just guys who killed witches yeah they weren't necessarily another thing we're moving more into that direction now yes before i feel like it was really warlocks were humans who got their uh, powers from killing witches and demons were demons who had their powers naturally. That stops being a thing, more or less. Yeah, demons and warlocks get a lot closer to each other. Yeah. And I think that was probably because of the moral ambiguity that exists if the girls are killing warlocks and warlocks are just humans. Yeah, I think we've mentioned before that there's a kind of an issue in the last season where one of the antagonists brings up to the sisters that they can't kill her because she's human and that would be murder even though they murder a lot of people assuming that you're considering warlocks to be people which they are so well the show also moves towards a very 
odd version of good and evil, which I'm sure we'll talk about at length in future seasons, Mm -hmm. where you're born good or you're born evil. Good and evil become less and less a thing you do and more and more a thing you are. So warlocks can't be human Mm -hmm. because they are evil, capital E. Yeah. It's the inverse of that uh, Ms. Marvel quote. You know, good isn't a thing you are, it's a thing you do. Yes, I actually didn't remember what that was from when I just said that. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, no, it it turns out good is a thing that you are, and therefore all things that you do are good, if you are a good person. I... Yes, they move out of a kind of Catholic theology and much more into a redemption by grace Protestant theology. So Phoebe bumps into baby Misha Collins as he's storming out of his dad's room, and she has a premonition of him getting a demon needle finger in the face. Ugh. Gross. So I was reading up about this episode, mm-hmm. and the Charmed Wiki has a copy of the ad that ran for this episode, because the CW used to do ads for every single individual episode. Yeah, I remember some of them from TV Guide, back when TV Guide was a thing. Yes, and this one, the little log line on it was, Phoebe has a fear of needles for a very, very good reason. Wow, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oof, jeez. <sighs> so, back at the manor. Uh, Prue thinks that Jack... Lachlan Monroe, uh, the kind of jackass, he was like a swapper guy who got rich off swapping and now he wants to work at the auction house. She thinks he might be a warlock. Yeah. Spoiler, he's not. He's just a douche. And... And Piper's like, well, I mean, do you have any reason? And she's like, I don't need a reason. Warlocks are everywhere. You dated one, remember? And... Piper's like, uh, when are you gonna let go of the whole Jeremy thing? And Prue's like, around the time Cole rolls up into this. Yeah, yeah. When my other sister dates someone way worse. Piper and Prue are talking about the concept of a warlock test. A test to discover if a person is a warlock. So that they can find out if... Lachlan. Yes. Uh... If Jack and also, by the way, neighbor Dan happen to be warlocks. And then they can stop accidentally dating warlocks. It's not the worst idea in the world. No, warlock test. Good idea. I mean, it comes up in this episode, but Kit can sense warlocks sometimes. That's actually an important thing to mention because the doorbell rings and Piper goes to answer the door. And it is neighbor Dan. Who is here to whisk her away to a friend's wedding because... What's the best thing to do with someone you started dating, like, a week ago? I know. Invite them as your date to an out-of-town wedding. Also, he wants her to leave an hour earlier than they were planning to leave, which is so not cool. But I will say, throughout this episode, Piper keeps saying that she'll be ready on time, but I'm like, well, when were you supposed to leave? Because you keep saying that, and time keeps passing. (laughs) But yeah, she tells him that... She can be ready an hour early, but also... Kit Watch 2020, sort of? (laughs) Right? So, Kit is uh, awkwardly green-screened into the entryway, and she is not happy to see 
neighbor Dan. She starts hissing at him. And Piper's like, oh, crap. I'm dating another warlock. Yeah. So, uh, apparently they, they lost the cat, like... I heard in between seasons, and I guess they just, you know, because they record in advance. So I guess when we've seen the cat, it, those were those episodes, maybe. But you couldn't find another cat, really. I mean, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world to just use green screen versions of an animal so you don't have to pay an animal wrangler. But man, is it obvious that that cat is not there. Yeah, it's 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 awkward. It's awkward. But Kit Watch 2020. I don't know if this is the last appearance of Kit, but I feel like we are reaching the end of Kit showing up in this show. Well, I have a very important question for you. Does that count the episode where she turns human? Oh, no. No. Uh, when Kit shows up again, assuming she does, are we going to have Kit Watch 2021? I think we will. I think we will, assuming that Kit shows up in the show after this point. I just realized we're going to have to rename that that particular watch because we are coming up to the end of this year. Yeah. Let's all hope for a better 2021. Some good things happened in 2020. Some very good things happened in 2020. But a lot of it was a dumpster fire. And in some case, a literal, actual fire, which trapped us in our house for about a week. You know, that it feels like so long ago, but the entire West Coast was on fire relatively recently. God, that feels like 10 years ago. Anyway, we go to credits, and when we come back, Prue and Piper are going through the Book of Shadows looking for a warlock test. Okay, they can't seem to find one, which is strange. There should definitely be a warlock test. I feel like there probably is later. I mean... Well, I mean, in a minute, Phoebe's going to come in and tell us a very easy test for a warlock, which should be in the Book of Shadows. You know, I'm thinking about it. They're looking for a heading that says warlock test, but I feel like maybe if they went and read the section for warlock, they would see what Phoebe is going to tell them, which is that warlocks don't bleed. So, you know, you just prick them with a pin. In this episode, and I think only this episode. Ah. Well, I was going to mention that that's an actual test that was used on witches during the witch trial. Yeah. As we all know from Good Omens. Or from studying history. Yes. (laughs) But instead of, you know, coming up with that, they decide that the best thing to do is a telepathy spell. Which, uh... They're going to cast a spell that's going to let them read thoughts. Yeah, there's no way that's going to backfire. Why don't they just do that, you know, 24-hour truth spell again? And then just say, are you a warlock? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, um, my anxiety does not like the idea of being able to hear everyone's thoughts. That is not something I need. Yeah, like, whenever... I guess it doesn't come up so much as uh, flight or invisibility, when people do superpowers but whenever mind reading is an option i'm like you don't want that thing there there i mean did you read horns no a, a big part of horns is because do, do you know the plot of horns i do not okay so this guy wakes up one day and he has uh, he has these horns okay that let him hear everyone's thoughts and 
over the course of the book he realizes that he, he's only hearing their worst thoughts mm. but for the whole first part of the book he's like oh my god people are terrible well i haven't read horns but i have seen the buffy episode earshot mm. yeah i don't want to know that my watcher and mother had sex on a police cruiser and that giles is apparently like a stevedore in bed oh my god can you know yeah see nightmare material i yeah you don't want to hear people's thoughts no no i mean i understand them thinking this is the solution but honest to god i would go for the truth spell again over this i like that phoebe was distracted otherwise occupied distracted is not the right word i like that phoebe was otherwise occupied because we really established that she is the bookish witch she's the one who does the research and knows the information and if she was there they would not have cast this spell yeah she's the one who recreationally reads the book of shadows which i think is such an interesting part of her character early on because she's like the young one the troublemaker but she's also the one who's like research-minded a trait that will be taken over by Paige when she shows up Mm. and then instead phoebe's will just be i don't know being the bitchiest well no i i I think that might be piper's phoebe's thing is being really really obsessed with her love life okay and really like impressed with herself we will get to ask phoebe when we get to ask phoebe so you'd think prue would be the researchy one considering her job but right but that's not the direction instead she's more of the heavy of the group which I do, I do kind of like that as just a different... I mean, it makes sense with her power that she would be the heavy, but yeah. Okay, anyway, Phoebe comes in and she's thinking about the terrible thing that she just saw happening to Misha Collins and how she has to get the Book of Shadows and find out what's happening. And Piper's like, oh, if you're looking for the Book of Shadows, we have it down here. And Phoebe's like, what? And Piper's like... We were looking for a way to find out whether our boyfriends are warlocks or not. And Phoebe says, why don't you just prick them? If they don't bleed, then they're warlocks. Duh. Like, this is something that's been established up to this point. I'm pretty sure Jeremy was bleeding when they did the whole rose bursting through his skin thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I I feel like this is never a thing again, but I I, I do like it as an idea in the show. I mean, if it was part of the show Bible, I would be totally cool with that. Yeah. So Piper and Prue have kind of a telepathic conversation, and they decide not to tell Phoebe that they have mind-reading powers. Oof. That's not cool. Not cool, girls. So she tells them what she saw in her premonition, and she's going to go search the internet and see what she can find, which is weird because the Book of Shadows is right there. I would think check the Book of Shadows first, then check the internet, but whatever. She's going to do that while they go test their boyfriends and see if they're warlocks. They're going to go stab some dudes. Or mind read and then stab, I guess. Yeah. So, interesting thing in this episode, and I guess we can touch on it more later, but this episode has basically all of the couples giving each other a test. Prue is testing Jack to see if he's a warlock. Jack is testing Prue in a very creepy way, which we will discuss at length, I'm sure, when we get to it. Mm. And Piper is testing neighbor Dan. And in a way, I feel like neighbor Dan taking Piper to this wedding becomes its own kind of test. Yeah. Especially 
towards the end when she doesn't have time for him because they're dealing with the brain-sucking aliens. Warlocks. Wrong. We have you. Wrong. Wrong podcast. <laughs> they're dealing with the brain-sucking warlocks and Piper doesn't have time for him. So he's like, look, this is the time I'm leaving and I want you to be there. Be there. That's less of a test and more of a boundary that he's drawing, but mm. I feel like that's kind of the theme of this episode as far as the B-plot goes. But, yeah, so... So, Jack walks into Prue's office and he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses. That's not his normal look. Whoa! And a puka shell necklace. Dear Lord. And he's like, Hey, Prue, I don't know anything about the business that we both work at. Also, I'm thinking about corpses. Guess I'm probably a warlock, right? Yeah, so... The explanation for this is so dumb. Prue asks him about this collection that he was supposed to get validated, and he doesn't know anything about that. He's obviously lying, and then he thinks, careful, she's on to you. She's gonna find out that mostly what you do is put people in the ground, or incinerate them. You know, the normal sort of thing one thinks about if one runs a crematorium. Spoilers. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh. I mean, but Bruce, wouldn't the logical thing he'd be thinking be, uh-oh, she, she can't tell that I'm my twin brother and that we're doing some incredibly creepy... Uh, yeah, it is. I guess I guess we're going to talk about what's happening. This isn't Jack. It's his twin brother, Jeff. I, I, y'all... Also, dick move parents. Jack and Jeff? It's not the worst, I guess. It could be Jack and Jake. But, like, rhymey names... Or, like, not rhymey, but, like, for... I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, I know you're not going to talk about first initial names. We're talking about Charmed. Yes. That's... that. You know, it's true. It's true. At least it's not cutesy. I... Like Jack and Jill? Yes. Or, like... And I, I believe Barry Allen deserves everything horrible that's ever happened to him because of what he named his twins. Yes. Do you remember what Barry Allen's twins were named? No. Don and Dawn. Nope, not okay. Not okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, there's a good reason your kids don't talk to you. I mean, it's because they got raised in the future, but... <laughs> but also, those <laughs> names. God. Ugh. I think they actually skipped, like, in the Flash TV show. Mm-hmm. They have his daughter come in, and they just used his granddaughter, Jenny. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. When I was teaching, I had twin girls in my class, and they both had names that started with a C, but mm. that was fine. Yeah, it wasn't, like... Yeah, it wasn't cutesy. I was also really proud of the fact that I was able to tell them apart, despite the fact that they were identical twins, and we went to a school that had uniforms. Oof. Yeah. Oh, I feel like that's sort of the thing you pick up on after a little while, like, just... Because people look different. Yeah. What's funny is, at one point, one of the twins came in and was like, Here, I'm dropping off this paper, but it was the other twin's paper. She was pretending to be her sister. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like... It, it wouldn't have been a problem if she had said, here's my sister's paper. She was just pretending to be her sister. And I was like, why are you pretending to be her sister? Apparently they did that all the time. 
I mean, I feel like that's one of the fun things about being twins. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess I would probably do that all the time if I was a twin. Uh, I was I was friends with a girl who was half of a set of twins in uh, in high school, and she uh, she wore a uh, I'm the good twin shirt. Uh huh. And the thing is, her brother went to a completely different school, so none of us like got it until graduation when her brother showed up and we're like oh because we all knew that she had a brother who went to a different school but we didn't know they were twins i told you about the guy i dated in college who was half a twin half of a set of twins wow no okay it's just that he was um they were fraternal twins Mm -hmm. and they looked nothing alike and they both went to the same school and when we first started dating we were like in the the mess hall Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, hey, this is my twin brother. And I assumed because they looked so different from each other that he just meant like, this They're... is my brother from another mother. This yeah. is my super close friend that I'm exactly like. But no, he was his twin. Well, that, that, that's the issue with... Um, that's one of many issues with the Adam Sandler movie uh, Jack and Jill. Well, okay, I mean, they're obviously fraternal twins, not identical twins, because... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not that huge of an issue because my friend who was a twin did look a lot like her brother. But yeah, that's what I was going to say. Fraternal twins can look very similar just because siblings can look very similar. Yeah. Which is also one of my issues when people are like, uh, obviously Quicksilver's actually, uh, Billy and Tommy's dad because look, Tom, Tommy has white hair like his uncle. So clearly his uncle's actually his dad. And I'm like, no, they're related. That's why they look alike. You can look like someone you're related to. It's not unusual. And honestly, he just looks like Tommy, but with white hair. Also, I mean... It's comic book art. Yeah, it's comic book art. There are like five faces. It's not a thing that's known for its consistency either. Oh my god, there was this bit in the New Warriors like one of the new warriors runs mm-hmm. where there were three women this was when i decided to give up on the book and i i promise we will get back to charm shortly there are three women it was it was it was jubilee it was wind dancer and it was tattoo okay. who are you know asian south american and black and they looked identical they looked identical and they were all like colored basically the same and i'm like how do you mess up this badly? These characters should look nothing alike. They're different ages. They're like... Yeah. Yeah. Charmed. So, neighbor Dan comes back. Yeah. He walks through the door. I thought he said this later in the episode, but he might have said it earlier and I just missed it. There's a bit where he's standing on the other side of the door and he's like, someday I'm going to get through that door, which you go through the door all the time. I don't know what you're talking about, but... So Dan comes in and he's like, so are you ready for the trip that we're perpetually almost leaving for? And Piper freezes him, pokes him with a pen, and she's like, he's not bleeding. And Phoebe walks into the room. And Phoebe's like, yeah, because he's frozen. You idiot. He's frozen. And Piper's like, oh, right, right. Okay, leave so I can unfreeze. Uh, by the way, before she froze him, he was thinking, and she heard him thinking, Oh no, Piper doesn't actually want to go with me, and I'm pushing too hard, I have to just back off and not, like, force the issue. 
But anyway, she unfreezes and he's bleeding, so it's all good. He's not a warlock. Yay, I guess. And she's like, listen, I do want to go with you. It's just that I have to do things that I can't tell you about. And Phoebe comes down the stairs and she's like, hey, Dan, bleed much? Yeah, and then she whisks Piper away so that they can, you know, talk about witch stuff. Neighborden gets abandoned in that front hallway a lot. He does. I'm surprised he hasn't figured things out more. Well, later. Yeah. Although later it's mostly going to be about, you know, Leo. Yeah. So as they're ushering him out the door, the green screened kit starts hissing again. Weird. It's the exact same hiss she did earlier. It is strange. Maybe it's a magic hiss. And Dan points out that there's a wasp's nest like in the door jam or whatever and that you know that's what kit's hissing at that's what kit's hissing at and also that must be what made him bleed a wasp must have stung him do cats hiss at wasps is that a thing i in the time i was a cat owner i never experienced it so i can't say for sure my cat mostly just hid from everything Mm -hmm. so Phoebe and Piper are seeking out Misha Collins to rescue him from the demons that are going to stab him with needle fingers. The demons, the warlocks. Warlocks. Which Phoebe tells Piper are called collectors and that they are a specific breed of warlock. So I think we're firmly in warlocks are not human territory here in episode seven of season two. God, they should be demons. I'm sorry. They should just be demons. But these particular warlocks have a power where they suck out people's knowledge and that's what they do. You know what they are? They're the brains from that one episode of Futurama. Yes. Yeah. So they have Misha Collins and the collector who's been posing as a doctor grows a giant needle out of his finger and goes to suck out Misha Collins's brain, but... Phoebe and Piper get there right in time so that Piper can freeze them. And then Phoebe punches them in the face because that's her power. Yeah, she's she's really she's really good at the punching and kicking. She punches one of them and he goes flying and she kicks another one and goes flying. And Misha Collins pulls a gun out from his waistband and starts shooting at them. But whoa, that's not effective against warlocks. warlocks. So the girls grab Misha and run. That's that's the plan. I do like that this is a thing in Charmed. We also saw it in that horrible Phoebe's ex-boyfriend fighting a mummy episode where if you leave the room, you're fine. Yeah, they're not going to chase after you, apparently. Yeah. that's It's not sporting. As soon as you're clear of the room, the warlocks can't follow you. So back at the manor, Piper is listening to Misha's thoughts because he's thinking that, like, this is a government agency that's chasing after him because this government agency has an interest in the akashic records yeah he doesn't know about magic stuff he believes in the akashic records but he thinks that he thinks that the demons who are trying to use their pointy pointy fingers to suck out his brain juice are like cia and that the girls might be fbi or whatever and they're all just rival agencies who are trying to get this information and uh, yeah so I, re- I feel like as soon as the giant brain-sucking finger came out... I mean, maybe he was too distracted to notice that it was a part of his hand. Maybe he just thought it was, you know, a guy holding him down about to stab him. Hmm. 
I really like this. When he mentions the Akashic Records, Phoebe thinks about what they are, which apparently in the Charmed universe is an actual record of everything that was and will be. Mm. A bunch of prophecies, basically. And Piper repeats what they are out loud because she read it in Phoebe's mind. But I really like how Phoebe just knows what they are because she is the researcher at this point in the series. Yeah. I also like how Phoebe's like, since when do you know stuff? To Piper, because, you know, Piper is aggressively not that character. Right? So, according to Phoebe, if the wrong people get a hold of the Akashic Records, it's the end of the fight of good versus evil because they will have a massive handicap. The Whoever has them will have a massive advantage because they'll know everything all the time. Eh, I mean, it's not like both sides don't have seers already. It's Yeah, but seers... The things that they see are vague, and it's not necessarily written in stone, God. as it were. Also, uh, so apparently free will is not a thing, then. Well, probably what's going on is that people have free will, but someone else, whoever composed the Akashic Records, has knowledge of all of the choices that people will freely make because they exist outside of time. I'm sorry. It just makes me think of um, the professor from Futurama's Death Clock, where it will uh, accurately uh, tell you the moment of your death, although there is a six uh, there's a six second margin of error because of free will. <laughs> so... Misha Collins is going to get out of there, and Phoebe tries to stop him. He says, how, how are you going to stop me? And she flips him! She, like, Aikido flips him to the ground and then straddles him, and then Prue walks in and says, ah, I see we're entertaining. <laughs> it is pretty great. I do love the casualness of this. Also, dude, you saw her kick and punch a guy so hard they went flying across the room. Why do you think you would be able to stop her from stopping you? That's a good question. So Piper freezes everyone so that the girls can have a conversation without Phoebe having to stay straddling this guy. And Phoebe notices that Prue and Piper are both really picking up on each other's thoughts in this uh, this little exchange. And she's like, okay, you two are being quiet and agreeing with each other a lot. What's going on Yeah, here? you two are being way more intuitive than normal. So they finally tell her, yes, they cast a spell so that they can read thoughts. Not cool, guys. Not cool. Uh-uh. Nope. And then Piper thinks at Prue that Dan is not a warlock, and Prue thinks at Piper. Unfortunately, Jack is. Wah, wah. Guess we have to kill him. I, I like that they've got a frozen, laid-out Misha Collins on the floor, but they're pausing to talk about which of their boyfriends is an evil demon. <laughs> so... Uh, Phoebe tells Prue that she should probably, you know, make super extra sure that he's actually a warlock before she throws him out a window or what have you. I guess. So uh, she's going to take Piper with her. Piper's going to freeze him. They'll prick him, do the extra test. And then if it turns out that he is evil, they'll throw him out the window. Yes. And, you know, they should probably just come up with a bunch of, like, generic vanquishing potions and carry them around all the time. Okay, speaking of having things around to carry around, mm -hmm. Prue says that she has the knife that they used with those three warlock brothers. 
Yeah, which is good continuity. Well. Oh. They get half credit for remembering that knife, but they don't get full credit because the knife disappeared with the warlocks. Oh. But, you know, whatever. It's fine. The point is, Prue has a warlock killing knife, so that should make things easier. Honestly, that knife probably should have come back more. It seemed like... I mean, I guess it got destroyed and I didn't remember it, but it seemed like the sort of thing that would be handy to have around. Or uh, the the knife they used to suck Hakate into uh, in, the, in the Wedding from Hell episode. Although I think maybe maybe we just shouldn't remember the Wedding from Hell episode. I think that's probably for the best. Although if they hung on to like all the magical knives and stuff they had over the course of the show, they'd have quite the collection by the end. They would. They'd have a little armory. Yeah. So... Back at the museum, the collectors are discussing where Misha Collins is and what they're going to do. About, you know, because now he's being protected by Bruce Lee's little sister. Whatever. I mean, to be fair, she did, like, attack them with an unreasonable amount of force. Not unreasonable. Unreasonable to think that she could muster amount of force what's that kick powered by raw enthusiasm exactly so back at bucklands i mean i don't get why they assume he's going to come back to the museum if he already eureka it i think that was just the set they had i mean it's not a set it's a real museum but i think that's just the location that they had secured mm. so back at the auction house jack in his signature you know black leather jacket look comes in he uh, makes it most of the way across the room before Piper freezes him. And when Piper freezes him, Prue pokes him with the dagger and goes... With go- a giant ass knife. Yeah. And goes, wait, he's not bleeding. And Piper's like, duh, it's because he's frozen. Okay, I, I love that. I love how she's... Because, be- you know, I-, I just love that she's like doing the thing that phoebe did she's like duh obviously yes before piper can unfreeze him though so they can see if he's bleeding hawaiian shirt jack comes into the room and walks right up next to his brother who he doesn't seem to realize is frozen in mid-stride yeah but piper freezes him too so now they're both frozen next to each other and piper unfreezes them so that they can explain what the hell, dude? Yeah. What the hell? Also, Jack is bleeding, so not a warlock. Just a douche. It turns out that, as we mentioned earlier, Jack is a twin, and he and his brother do this gross thing where when one of them is interested in a girl, they vet her by having the other brother pretend to be them and check her out. Ugh. Okay, the conversation lasted, like, ten seconds, so by check her out, clearly it just means, like, physically, right? I hate, I hate these guys. I hate, I already hated Jack. Well, I think this is the only time Jeff shows up, so Ugh. I wouldn't worry about it too much. And, of course, this is when Jeff reveals that he's a mortician, and that's why he was thinking about burying and burning people, which is such a cheat. Like... He happened to be thinking, oh, for a living, I bury people without also thinking, because I am a mortician? I work in the Pits of Hell Mortuary Company. That's why I was thinking, I better get back to the Pits of Hell. 
Thank goodness Prue just hits them both and they storm out. Prue and Piper storm out. Yes, she slaps Jack because it's super creepy to have your twin brother, you know, checking out women for you. And she slaps Jeff, his twin brother, because that's for thinking that you wouldn't get slapped. I mean, honestly, you could probably slap him for the same reason you slapped Jack. (laughs) Right? Creepy. Creepy twins. Oof. Back at the manor, Phoebe has made tea and brings it out in a very nice delicate porcelain set out to misha collins and he's like is this cia tea that's made out of poisoned and mind-controlled chips and phoebe's like no it's it's chamomile it's just tea he she's like i'm not with the government i'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to tell her where the akashic records are yeah they they have one of those awkward conversations they have to have every few episodes or so with an innocent where they're like we're helpers we help people and maybe we have magic powers but we can't tell you about the witch thing so we're just going to be kind of purposely obtuse we're helpful people misha collins also fills in phoebe that the reason he was trying to locate the akashic records is because that's what his dad was doing when he fell into a coma and it was you know for his dad that he wanted to finish his work this does kind of have uh I know the Farscape episode we talked about last week didn't line up with the episode of Charmed you were hoping it would, Mm -hmm. the Trapped in a Painting episode of Charmed, but this conversation does kind of have shades of um, Chiana's conversation with Dargo about why it is good and or not good to see the future. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Because Phoebe's like, you ever think maybe there's some stuff man was not meant to know? And he's like, eh, eh. Which I appreciate, by the way. I I don't like this whole science has gone too far storyline. Yeah, also, Phoebe, you can see the future, so maybe shut up. Yes. It's possible for science to not have ethics, but that's not the same thing as going too far. You've seen those comics with the the caveman scientists who, you know. Yes. What has science done? Although I'm, I'm actually a fan of the college humor sketch about medieval black mirror yes (laughs) Uh. so the girls and misha collins go to the hospital to check on misha collins's dad and when they get there they find out that the receptionist has been killed and that's it that's weird that the receptionist has been killed but i mean one of them's a doctor that was kind of unnecessary right yeah that was really just so they would know that they needed to run into misha's dad's room where the collectors are, you know, getting ready to grab him. And as soon as they see everyone coming in, they blink away. Well, Prue telekinetically throws them into a wall and then they start blinking all over the place. I love how Misha Collins starts kind of puppeting his dad into a wheelchair. Because, yeah. I mean, it's really obvious that the uh, the actor's helping him. Yes. But it makes him seem like he's super strong because he's just like... He grabs him by the back of the neck and he's just like, whoop, into the chair. But, uh. The doctor one blinks behind Prue and steals the dagger from her. But then later she uses her telekinetic powers to, to whip the dagger back from him. And then she goes to throw it at him, but he blinks away with Misha Collins' dad. And the dagger just goes into the wall. Honestly, really well choreographed fight scene, I think. Yeah, there's a, there's a really great bit, which I appreciate. Where Piper grabs one of the flower vases that Phoebe was putting in the room earlier and hits one of the warlocks over the head with it. Yeah. (laughs) Which, 
I'm a huge fan of people hitting other people with vases in fight scenes. It, it's always fun. So baby Misha Collins is like, wait, magic is real. Magic is real and people just kidnap my dad. This is very, very bad. Okay, so it turns out that his dad solved half of the thing that guides you to the Akashic Records and he solved the other half. So they both have half of the map to the Akashic Records in their heads. That seems like a weird way to solve a problem, but okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Misha Collins is like, wait, they're warlocks? And you guys are witches? What? And the girls rightly point out, you're looking for a book of prophecy. Where's the line, dude? Where's the line where stuff becomes unbelievable? And Phoebe's like, look, I know I'm a witch, but please can we still bone when this is all over? Because you are super hot. Also, uh, don't tell anyone that we're witches. This is our big secret. Please don't tell anyone. And he's like, I'm sure nothing that... I'm sure nothing will happen by the end of the episode that will make me forget this. You can trust me to not tell people. Yeah. So he kind of stalks off and Phoebe's like, I'll go get him. He's my love interest for the episode. So He, he stalks off and goes into the museum. Okay, the security in this museum is terrible. It, yes, yes. Awful security in this museum. He walks over to a... Uh, to a fire. fire extinguisher removes it from its glass case which apparently doesn't set off a fire alarm i feel like you can't take a fire extinguisher without setting off a fire alarm he lifts it like he's about to smash the glass that has the akashic record this is the a map mu- to the akashic record yes this is a museum full of people phoebe stops him they have this giant ass conversation where she's like are you sure are you sure you want to rob people of the gift of future knowledge and he's like wait i thought you were against people having the knowledge of you know future knowledge and she's like but you can't unsmash a thing and he's like i'm sure people took pictures of it i mean honestly (laughs) yeah this, this seems like kind of a not permanent solution but whatever and she's like okay well you know you do you baby he smashes the glass which takes forever pulls out the tablet, smashes it on the ground, and the two of them stand there and stare at it for a long time before they decide to run, and no one approaches them. Like, everyone looks up at them like, oh my. How rude. (laughs) But nobody tries to, whatever. As they are leaving, someone ADRs in. You should, we should get a security guard. I feel like a security guard should have been in the area already. That's every museum I've ever been to. Yeah, every museum I've ever been to has had a security guard standing at every door between exhibits. For just such an occasion! But apparently the problem is solved because now the only place the information exists is in baby Misha Collins' head. So the only way that this will be an issue is if there's some sort of demon and or warlock that can suck the information out of his head. I still can't get beyond the fact that they both memorized half a map. Eh. Eh. Anyway, back at the manor, Prue and Piper are looking in the Book of Shadows for a solution, and they find a spell that will erase Misha's memory of what's going on, so that the warlocks won't have anything to take from him. It will mean that they kill Misha Collins' dad, 
But Prue's like, whatever. The dad's not the innocent we're supposed to protect. Misha Collins is the innocent we're supposed to protect. And then we pivot into this weird thing about how they they both have issues with their dad. And we're, we're still going off of their dad is a terrible guy. The thing that we had in season one with uh, dad classic. Yeah. This is pre-new dad. So... Prue's like, is it that big of a deal if we let the dad die? And Piper's like, not every dad is as bad as ours, Prue. And she's like, eh. It's weird that this episode deals with a lot of daddy issues because that's not a thing Charmed touches on a lot. We don't really deal with a lot of father issues on this show. I mean, we did in season one, but we did in the first few episodes of season one. But... I feel like there's far more sister issues and romance issues than father issues. And not as many grandma issues as one would think, given, you know... Who their grandma is? Yeah. So, Dan I was right. It's later in the episode. Sorry. So, so neighbor Dan shows up, and Piper's like, I'm not ready yet, but I promise I'll be ready on time. And I'm like, well, has less than an hour passed? Because he told you to be ready. Also, why is he here if it's not time to go yet? So when you say you'll be ready on time, why is he here? Well, I think he, he meant an hour before the time he originally sent. Okay, okay. Said, but... But this is the second time that he's come back to pick her up. So, what what is the timeline here? And this is the part of the episode where, you know, she's like, Look, I'm not ready yet, but I'll be ready before you're leaving. Which, why is he coming to the door if he's not leaving now? But... She closes the door in his face and he's like, someday I'll get past that front door. And it's like... He's already been in. In this episode. I think by front door, he means... The hallway? Piper's vagina. (laughs) God. (laughs) Dear Lord. So, I do love how she just kind of slams the door in his face and Misha Collins is like you're gonna deal with that and piper's like we'll deal with that after your father doesn't die and you don't die yeah so prue and piper present their plan Hmm. prue and piper present their plan that misha collins get his brain erased so that the collectors don't collect it collect it they also tell misha collins to go check his voicemail to see if they left a like hostage reclaiming thing well they should because the whole point was to get the information from misha collins so yeah and he has no new messages remember when you you call into your answering machine and you put in like a code or whatever so you could hear your messages yeah i said voicemail but actually what he did was was distance check his machine god the past is a foreign country it really is so now the sisters have to have a debate is it worth it to endanger the father and basically save the world by making sure the warlocks can't get at the records but are they really the good guys if they're willing to sacrifice somebody in order to do this and if they're not the good guys then what are they doing and you know that's that dilemma there's kind of a nice bit where phoebe thinks that they don't care what happens to eric and -hmm. then she turns around because she knows that they read minds they they admitted it to her she turns around she's like you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. It was it was a stray thought. I know that you are invested in saving people. For now. <sighs> so the phone rings and Misha picks it up and it's the collectors. And they put just enough of 
Misha's dad's brain back in his head that he can give proof of life over the phone. Yeah, he's like, baby Misha Collins, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. And then they the knowledge back out and they're like, come meet us in the park or we'll, you know, suck out the rest of his brain. And Misha's like, park's a pretty big place. You, you don't want to be more specific than that. Right? So Phoebe comes into the room and Misha Collins lies to her and is like, yeah, haven't heard from him. No messages. And then he calls her an angel. And she says she's no angel, which is funny because it's Misha Collins. Uh, yeah, and he, he plays an angel in Supernatural. Yeah, I mean, it's not obviously not a reference set. This is many years before he would show up on Supernatural, but. Yeah, it's a fun little, uh, it's a fun little preview of, you know, the role that he'll be very famous for playing. In. A premonition, even? Mm. I don't know if he regrets playing Castiel. I mean, it, it's. Uh, it's definitely been paying his bills for the past however many years but well so i'm not a supernatural fan but as far as the way the actors appear in interviews and things i think misha collins is the one who is most into having been part of that phenomenon yeah which of, of the three main guys which is fair i i also don't think that he's like a member of the main i i feel like he he's he shows up in a lot of episodes, but he's not in, like, every episode, so maybe it's less stressful for him. Although, God knows. I wonder if he gets less of the weird kind of fandom backlash. Because, you know, there's a thing with the actors in Supernatural where, like, their girlfriends are being threatened by fans of the show. And I know, like, he's married and has a couple of kids, and I was like, if, if he went into it with that, maybe... I do not know, honestly. Yeah. It's... Supernatural has a very passionate fan base. Yes, they are. They put the fanatic in fan. Mm. Which has manifested in some pretty ugly behavior. Mm. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't remember where I saw it, but there, there was a thing someone was talking about. They were like, look, people smack talk Supernatural for not having, like, basically any reoccurring female characters. But every time they introduce female characters, the actresses get death threats, like, the writers get threats. And it was a thing where it was like, you know, it's just not worth doing. Mm. And I'm like, that. Hey, yes, that sounds like an excuse, but... I'm not in the Supernatural fandom. I didn't watch Supernatural. I don't want to weigh in on this because I don't have that much experience with it other than seeing the fandom from the outside. But I will say that one of the things that kept me from getting invested in the show was the knowledge that there weren't any good female characters. So I don't know, maybe this cycle is kind of self-fulfilling. I mean, I, I watched it for a few seasons. I remember, uh, I guess I kind of liked Meg. She was like a reoccurring female villain in like the first and second season or one of those seasons. She was like a, she was a demon. She was kind of fun. And then there was Ruby, who's that character, you know, from everything where she's like, oh, she's a femme fatale and you don't know if you can trust her. She's someone who steals magic artifacts and she shows up every so often and sometimes she works with the brothers but sometimes she stabs them in the back and 
no one liked her and she got killed off in a really brutal way. I'm just saying, it's a show that has a reputation for having kind of contempt for its female characters. And I feel like you can't be a show that has contempt for female characters and then be surprised that your fan base doesn't care for female characters. I really feel like it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation, though. Like, which came first? Over-the-top, aggressive, negative fan reaction to female characters or poorly written female characters? Yeah, I I guess it's hard to pinpoint which came first, but I I guess I'm just going to put more responsibility on the writers than the fans because they inherently have more power. I think people liked Felicia Day's character when she showed up later. That's probably because her character was a lesbian. Also, who doesn't love Felicia Day? Yeah. So you're saying they should have introduced more lesbians right off the bat? Okay, that's my answer for every (laughs) television show ever. Make no mistake. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't run in fan fiction circles, but I'm given to believe there are some sections of fan fiction writers who tend to act negatively towards female characters because they get in the way of their ships that's as somebody who tends to invest pretty heavily in the outlandish ships that are never going to become canon i find that kind of bizarre like my ships are never gonna happen so i don't know why you're so upset that yours aren't yeah yeah and you can write essays about the way fan culture has sort of evolved because again this was never a community i really interacted with heavily but i don't think back in the day anyone expected their ships to become canon it was something you had to create content for because you knew it was never going to happen in universe i mean a lot of fan fiction came about from people who didn't see themselves reflected in stories writing stories where they exist so yeah it's it's filling a niche that doesn't already exist, so you're not thinking that your ship is going to become canon. No, that's of course it's Xena, but barely, <laughs> barely at the end. Yeah, bare. Well, I mean, to be fair, Xena seeded it early and often, but it was more of a. I mean, it, it was a character thing, but it it was both a running gag and a character thing, mm. like. It was really obvious that she and Gabrielle were a couple throughout the whole show. Like, Gabrielle has, like, boyfriends of the week for the first couple of seasons, but there's stuff like, uh, you know, Gabrielle and uh, Atolicles switch bodies. Mm-hmm. And, like, Xena's, you know, and then Xena's making out with Atolicus all the time. and Or, you know, there's lots of things where you know Zena's leaning into gabrielle and she's turning her head and then it cuts to something else because this was television in the 90s and then they hired a bunch of fan fiction writers to write like the last couple of seasons and it became somehow even more explicit but you know yeah charmed so misha leaves having told them that he hasn't heard from the collectors but phoebe knows it's a lie and luckily Prue and Piper still have their... Telepathy. Yeah, so they heard him thinking that he's going to Golden Gate Park, and, uh, yeah, now the sisters are going to follow him to Golden Gate Park. Not really a good reason not to tell them. I mean, I I know that demons were like, uh, go alone or we'll kill your dad, but 
I mean, they're probably going to kill your dad anyway. You might as well come with backup. I mean, I think he got the impression, rightly so, that they were willing to sacrifice the dad and honestly, Misha Collins, too, if it meant that the Warlocks didn't get a hold of the Akashic Records. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So they decide. <laughs> I love how the Charmed Ones come up with the problem I mentioned earlier, which is, hey, the park's actually a really big place. How are we going to find the specific location where they're meeting? They don't actually come up with a solution. They just find him. Yeah. Eh. So Phoebe stops them before they go to find baby Misha Collins and the Warlocks. Terrible band name. (laughs) But uh, she's like, hey, I know your priority is to stop them from finding the Akashic Records and, you know, blah, 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 evil winning, but... I don't think that baby Misha Collins and his dad's lives are worth, you know, sacrificing just so that we can win. I don't think that we can have an honest victory here if we have to kill innocents to achieve our goals. Okay, that's a great rationale. And I like that. I like that kind of moral quandary. But she's also like, it turns out that there are good fathers, so we should do something to make sure that that keeps being a thing. Yeah, yeah, there are good fathers in the world, and we shouldn't do anything that'll make sure there'll be one less. And then Prue is scared by a peacock. <laughs> There's a shortage of perfect fathers in the world. It would be a shame to ruin his. God. God. Ugh. But, like, I mean, because I think we might have skipped over it, Baby Misha Collins talked to her about how solving this map to the Akashic Records with his dad was like a bonding experience for the two of them. And they're always building boats and flying kites and doing, I don't know, model airplanes or whatever when baby Misha Collins was even more of a baby. And like this father-son bonding became more academic over time. And like he just, he loves his dad so gosh darn much. Yeah. I mean, we touched on that a little bit, but yeah, yeah. he... he did give a whole big spiel to Phoebe. So he brought the gun with him. And the, the useless gun that... Not useless, because he has a plan. Mm. He tells them to restore his father or he will shoot himself, thus eliminating any knowledge of where the Akashic Records are, and they can just go pound sand. Mm. Which, solid. So I guess they kept the part of his dad's brain that knew where the Akashic records were. You know, I don't think it was divided half and half. I think, I think it's just that his father had only partially gotten it, but they thought he had gotten it. And that's why they sucked his brain out. And then Misha completed it. Eh, whatever. Anyway, uh, they restore Misha Collins' dad's brain and then they go to suck out Misha Collins' brain, but Phoebe does a flying karate kick and knocks one of them away. Now, importantly, they do start to suck out his brain. They also start to suck out Phoebe's brain before Piper and Prue show up. Hmm. So, it was important, we, we definitely skipped over it, when they were looking up the collectors in the Book of Shadows, there was a whole thing about how they can't be killed by anything like their thirst their hunger their hunger for knowledge is your ally is the only clue the book gives about how to defeat them so 
Piper and Prue figure, oh, this means that they could be killed by their brain sucky fingers. So Piper freezes them when both of their brain sucky fingers are out. And then Prue telekinetically joips them into each other. And they, they, they suck each other's brain. It's the stupidest thing. Okay, the CGI is terrible. But it's basically the same way that she defeated Rex and Hannah. Oh no, it's a balloon and then something bad happens. I mean, she just waited until they were going to attack, and then she froze them, and then she pointed them towards each other. It's not... Honestly, I feel like they've taken care of a few warlocks or demons this way. Yeah. But, yeah, they. it's just kind of funny how their heads just deflate when the fingers are... Like, their whole bodies kind Yeah, their heads deflate first, but then their whole body, like, gets sucked into a pinpoint of light. But, like, really cheap looking. Yes. So, the collectors are dead, and... God, there was no reason for whoever wrote that entry in the Book of Shadows to be that obtuse. Yeah. Uh, Misha's dad is fine, and Misha and Phoebe have lost the last three weeks of their memory, which means Misha Collins doesn't know that they're witches, and also they don't remember meeting each other. Hmm. But they're both like, wow, that person is hot. That seems kind of unnecessary, but... Well, I mean, we need to feel like Phoebe got the happy ending where she's going to get with the hot guy, even though we will never see him again. So, yeah. Dad and son are reunited. Everybody's happy. No one's wondering why they're mysteriously in a park for some reason. I mean, they are, but... Eh. Yeah. Whatever. A good deed was done. So, back at the manor, Piper is finally leaving the house. I love how neighbor Dan's driving away... And she's like, oh, no, I missed my chance. And Phoebe's like, you can freeze time. Yes, as I stated before, he set a boundary where he said, I'm leaving at this time and you are in the car or not. And that's just how it is. And literally Piper, I was going to say she cut it to the last second. She cut it past the last second because she cheated by freezing things. But there we go. Yeah. So Prue gets a gigantic bouquet of flowers from Jack because... Oh, and he put a phone inside of the flowers so that he could, like, call her and do this, like, sexy thing where he's like, hey, beautiful, this is my way of reaching out to you and also showing my extravagant wealth and... I bought a cell phone for the sole purpose of putting it in a thing of flowers. You want to suck my dick yet? Uh... Yeah, I, I do... I do like that Prue does not seem attracted to this guy at all, and she basically, she answers the phone and then drops it in a thing of water. Well, no, no, she does not drop it in a thing of water. She hangs up on him, and she and Phoebe decide that they're going to make a bunch of long-distance calls on it. Yes, you're right. Which, good for them. Yeah, yeah, good for them. I, I do believe Prue does end up dating this guy for a short period of time anyway. Yeah. But... Uh... Uh. well but yeah they're in the meantime uh phoebe's got some friends in japan she wants to call yep good for her so the next day presumably later possibly later the same day who knows phoebe is dropping flowers off in a room in the hospital she's candy striping again and misha collins in a sweater i want comes into the room and he's like, hey, uh, you looking for my dad? Because he's totally fine. I, I got told by some 
doctors, presumably not evil doctors, that you helped out a lot when he was sick. And she's like, oh, I don't remember, but probably I like helping people. And then he tells her that she must be an angel, just like he did back at the manor. And she's like, she repeats the same joke she did last time. She's like, I'm no angel, but I could probably introduce you to one. Don't don't introduce this guy to Leo. Baby Misha Collins has other stuff going on. He doesn't need to meet Leo. They both have that moment, like, in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where they have this feeling like maybe something has been forgotten, but they can't remember what it is, and then they act like they're going to get together, but as I said, we don't see Misha Collins ever again, unless we watch Supernatural. And that's it. Yeah, they go off to get some terrible hospital coffee, and we get a panning shot of the flowers. Neat. This is a fine episode, I guess. I mean... I mean, I enjoyed this episode. It was fine. It's... Honestly, if it wasn't for baby Misha Collins, I don't think there'd be anything notable about it. I mean, he did really make this episode. It's true. He's really fun, because he thinks... We, we didn't talk about it enough, but I do genuinely enjoy how this character thinks he's in a completely different genre than he is. Yeah, he thinks he's in a spy thriller. Yeah. So shall we do our segments? Yeah, yeah, let's uh, do our segments. I feel like we've been pretty upfront about our first segment, Premonitions, where we look into the future and see who is, was, or will become famous at some point, and uh, it's Misha Collins. I've actually kind of been hiding the reveal on our second Premonition, though. Oh. By the way, Misha Collins, Supernatural, probably other stuff. Sure, I'm sure. Who's the Who's the second person? The warlock who is pretending to be a doctor is Dean Norris. <gasps> yes, Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad and also other things. Also everything. Dean Norris has been in everything. Was he in Quantum Leap? I don't think so. Okay, but he's been in lots of stuff. You've seen Dean Norris and stuff. He's one of those guys. Yes. Well, but also... I mean, I didn't recognize him, but... But you didn't watch Breaking Bad. That's true. He's a main character on Breaking Bad. I think that's what most people will know him for. Mm. I think he was also in, like, a lot of hokey 80s movies. Oh, yeah, he definitely was. And uh, I think that'll uh, that'll do it for premonitions, but two fairly big ones this week. Yeah, we were an embarrassment of riches this week when it came to premonitions. All right, so that'll take us to our second segment, Time Freeze. What specifically dated this episode? So we didn't mention it, but when the phone is inside the flowers and it's ringing and Prue has to pick it up, she doesn't realize that it's a flip phone and Phoebe has to show her how to operate a flip phone. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say dialing in to listen to your answering machine, which is something I never did, but uh, I'm aware of it as a thing, honestly, mostly from friends. I think people mostly did it on TV for dramatic effect. I don't think most people really did that, Mm. but it was a thing that you could do. I was aware that it could be done, Yeah. but I don't think I ever did it even when I had an answering machine. Yeah. And uh, I I guess that's basically it for... is candy striping not a thing anymore? I feel like it was never a thing in the way it is in this episode. Uh, yeah, it is. I'm, when we were in the NICU, remember, there were women who, were, they don't call it candy striping anymore, and they don't call it candy striping in this episode. Although she has a very special little candy striper uniform. Well, she's just wearing pink scrubs. Pink and orange striped scrubs. But when we were in the hospital... 
Yeah, you had that friend who volunteered. Yeah, but and there were other volunteers around. Yeah. You know, at first, before they had to lock down the ward mm. for reasons. Mm. So, yeah, it is still a thing. Honestly, it's a thing that when our daughter's a little older, I'll probably do kind of pay it forward in the NICU because they took really good care of us. Yeah. So... I guess that'll take us to our last segment, telekinesis. What, if anything, genuinely moved you this episode? So I didn't have any big, like, heartfelt moments like I do sometimes, but I kind of felt a a pleasant, amused feeling when we had the moments where Prue and Piper were just reading each other's thoughts. The, The closeness they had there, especially in contrast to the way they're usually bickering Mm. was nice okay i this felt very genuine to me despite not having any siblings myself the bit where piper kind of acts like she knows everything that's going on when uh you know when prue pricks jack's hand and he's frozen even though she just like she went through the same thing like an hour ago with phoebe the fact that she's like duh prue he's frozen she does the same thing with the Akashic Records, where she pretends she knows what they are, and she just read it off of Phoebe's mind. It's something that feels very genuine to me. Yeah, that's a good moment. It's a well-done moment. Absolutely. So, our next episode mm-hmm. is called P3H2O. Oh, is this where we find out about how their mom died? Yes. Title is terrible. The description is, The sisters must face and destroy the demon that was responsible for their mother's death 20 years ago. In the process, they uncover a chapter of their mother's life that they never knew about. One that disturbingly mirrors Piper's current relationship with Leo. Ooh, this is where we meet Paige's dad. Yup. So I guess that's it for this week. Yeah, I guess that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Hollowell Manor. Thank you.